0: Back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And I am once again here with my co hosts, Anna and Wayne and Katya. How's it going, guys? Mav. There are a lot of co hosts now, and I had to look at the board because I couldn't, like, (laughs) literally, I was like, wait a minute. And uh, no, no, Monica. Hannah and Wayne and yeah. all right that's how I did it.
1: We need like a check a, a series of like complicated flow charts of like if, if if the if the podcast is this subject, that means these hosts are like a like a x percentage of likelihood of being there and then you know if it's raining on the west coast that it you know there's a different consequences if I don't know Jupiter is in.
2: If, if, if Jupiter a line with totally Mars and peace yeah. will rule the planets. Yeah, I mean, point, if, there's a, if, there's a, totally if there's a tsunami be
1: on the west coast, I will not appear. That that part yeah. of the flowchart, that okay. that part is pretty certain. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a lot of work to do, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I can just look at the board, which is what I did.
1: <laughs> you like, know. Um, I I appreciate a certain amount of absurdity in in my uh, project,
3: my, so my I would li- be against my it. My life
0: is a certain so, amount of absurdity. I mean, like, I, I, how
3: much I, percentage is this podcast already a certain amount of absurdity? Well, the thing
1: is, we need we need to visually represent the absurdity in a way that people understand, like how weird this entire process is.
0: I, yeah, I mean, will I mean, anyone just... else
1: care? No, but I'm gonna put it on t-shirts. It's gonna be great.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh God, what are we talking about? this week i guess it's, it's i mean it's, it's sort of my topic but it's really hannah's topic or it's not or, or I, mean, we oh, it's I mean
1: <laughs> okay okay two years ago a
3: bunch of witch movies came out or were announced in like tv shows and i thought to myself huh yeah we haven't talked about witches but they're everywhere and they've been everywhere in pop culture my entire life i wonder what's up with that and then like uh I, that's basically The Uh, short uh, version of a long winded blog post, and we invited people.
2: An insight into how we get all of our ideas is
0: one of us going, What's up with that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. like Staring at the wall and being like, Huh, (laughs) I
0: I have thoughts about this. So, I mean, we're talking. We're talking witches in pop culture. You know, this is a very specific kind. Of, this is another Halloween show, right? Is that fair? I mean, we're we're yeah, we're doing yeah. Not yeah. less spooky, but yeah, kind of spooky. Sure. The, the idea of the are...
2: witch
1: it, it, it thematically sure.
2: ties
0: in. Yeah, it
1: thematically yeah. ties in. It is it is spooky season, but also witches are timeless and cool. Yeah,
0: well, I, and I think that's I think there's going to be quite a bit of that uh, of the timelessness of the witch here because, and you know, we're not necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying we won't, but it's not necessarily we're talking about like cackling witches. We're talking about the concept of the witch and and we're also not really talking about wicca like the actual right. thing though that might come up as well we're talking about witches in pop culture from from bewitched to the magicians right or before or after and, yeah like, like that.
3: you know Macbeth or concession or yes. you know yeah, what okay. have you
0: so we brought guests yeah so. we don't know <laughs> <laughs> <'Cause>,
3: because <laughs> I, okay okay I don't fine know i'll speak for myself I'm speaking for myself. Some of us were dissertation chapters on and some of us were just like, huh, what's up with that? Well,
0: and, and and I, and some of us are just like in the middle of again, dissertating and working at every university in Pennsylvania. I'm exhausted all the time. And I, and I just wonder that like the last three, four shows, do I just sound loopier and loopier each time. <laughs> so
1: I was, like, I was wow. waiting for that to be the moment where Mav tells us he is in fact a witch. And that is how he manages to teach at so many different universities. Oh like, God.
0: I, I mean, if I, if I could wiggle my nose and just make stuff happen, Happen that would be that would make my life so much better but anyway first I want to introduce some of our friends who we brought back we got we got two returning guests um we've got Natalie Shepard Bodine welcome back Nat
4: it's going great He's not
0: as energetic as me. (laughs) Someone worked today, clearly.
4: (laughs) I actually just got off like an hour ago, so.
0: Oh well, thank you you for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was one. I mean, this was one you requested. You were, you know, when we were talking, you were like, "Oh, well, I think because you're a big magicians fan."
4: Um, I think Hannah was. was About it on the last podcast I was on, uh-huh. which was about the chair. Uh-huh. Just remembered. Um, I had just put out a chapter on the magician, so I was very excited about witches. Um, ah. But in general, witches are a special interest of mine. I've been practicing since I was 14 um, and just in general consume all of the witch pop culture. So, yeah. Cool. Be a great
0: so episode. you'll know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and also welcoming back all the way from last week, assuming episodes come out in order. <laughs> but um it's been, you know, seven whole days since we heard from Mike shimmers Hey Mike, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? It's great to be back. Hey
2: Mike first still long here time. Here. Yeah, long time no <laughs> anyway, so you guys always
5: wanna always wanna have me on when you're doing monsters and um I, I really appreciate that, but I do have other interests. I just want you to know.
2: That. <laughs> well, you know, we right, we, we have, have to a- tell us some of them.
0: I'll do an episode
5: yeah. i'm just kidding yeah. oh, i am just <laughs> monsters i'm just kidding let's get into it
0: no. oh god we we, we we have an episode we're not gonna tell the story i'll just leave the listener in suspense we have an episode coming coming up that it's the best thing ever an episode booked itself while i was asleep yeah i'm um, so excited <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, I, <laughs>
5: there's,
0: like there's no work we just just, just, there's, felt, there's, just fell on our lap <laughs> yeah so well, we'll that, that's coming up It's something for you to look forward to listeners but um, maybe it'll but edit anyway. itself while you're
5: asleep as well
0: <laughs> I'm so hoping oh my god I'm so hoping for magic to happen to where the edit, episode edits itself that would be perfect if it can research itself and edit itself I mean it, it booked itself so yeah this is going to be not? great <laughs> but anyway I do not yet have that magic that level of magic so so returning to Hannah we're we're talking about you said we're talking about witches in pop culture and you had some thoughts and I had some thoughts and then we're just like much like everything we do on the show when we get to enough of it we're we're like we're sure this is a show it's just like we'll just figure the rest of it out on the air. So, yeah. so, that's not there's a little more to it than yeah. that but that's We're, a, we're literally but, um, doing
2: it
3: live.
0: Yes. Yeah. Let's we'll do it live. Yes. No, it's not, not quite that. Um, But yeah, this is um not real witches, but fictional witches. But, you know, why are they so popular? You know, last, uh, last week we did, you know, just Dracula. This isn't, I don't think the witch has one solitary single point that you can drop back to and say, there's the novel that created the witch. I don't think we have that. though. So maybe Natalie knows something. I think it's more just sort of a, a conglomeration of lots of tropes that became the idea of the witch.
3: Yeah but I have to I have to like whisper in a footnote that like even though we focus on Dracula Dracula is not the like ur text the vampires either just Oh right right, right. yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah. Um, Well, listen to us to
0: talk about we we, we mentioned yeah. that <laughs>
3: Yeah, like to, to be away. the, to be like, to, to to be the nuance, like little footnote that everyone yeah. loves to hear. You know, there's like Macbeth, but like there's way, things like way before Macbeth and mm-hmm. way after Macbeth. I mean, I, I just because like, and I, I think also like a lot of people our age might know like some very specific things like charmed or bewitched or Harry Potter. But that's obviously not the be all end all of which popular culture by any means.
0: Charmed or bewitched or Harry Potter. It seems like and you said our age. That, that, that's, a, yeah, that's, a, that's a nice well, wide she range. Cover, she, covered, she covered all <laughs> of this. Our, our
1: age for
0: the, I think this group is
1: also like at least three generations. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So I think this is a really interesting question you posed, Mav, but I think about like why, why fictional witches are so popular. But I think I think we actually need to think about like actual witches. I'm going to say actual witches. I'm talking about people who have been identified as witches, like actual people who've been either called witches by others or or self-identified as
0: witches. Actual not actual non-fictional characters, you mean? Yeah,
1: talking about actual people. Because like, one of the examples you brought up was the Crucible. So I am sure. the person that Hannah was joking about, wrote a dissertation chapter on Witches High. I wasn't writing on witches from a historical perspective. I was writing on it exactly on this question of, like, why do witches continue to be a really compelling trope? Because, like, actually, we weren't super obsessed. In the way that we are in the 20 and 21st century about like the Salem witchcraft trials, like the Salem witchcraft trials hold a much bigger footprint in American history than, than makes sense given their his actual impact at the time. It was already commonly accepted at the time that witch trials were not a great idea. Not to say it wasn't an important event at the time, but it's not, it's, it's been overblown in historical record. And part of, I think one of, one of the hypotheses for that is because of McCarthyism, specifically because of the crucible and not because of the crucible itself but the crucible is emblematic of this is that there is something about the idea of a not just the witch hunt but also witchcraft that became like this very compelling metaphor to explain different events
0: wait hold on though should we explain to the listener what the crucible is and you know why that's relevant to mccarthyism
5: okay so the crucible was a play by arthur miller was one of the great american playwrights um and he it's a story of salem massachusetts or someplace in early america where a conservative community is um seized by witch madness and they uh, start persecuting one another um based on the hysterical ravings of some uh women who are part of the culture who Uh, are maybe not telling the truth entirely Um, and uh, this one guy winds up uh, going to jail and then he makes a very principled stand to stand up for what he believes in and refuses to admit that he was a witch and as a result is uh, executed for it and it's widely believed although Arthur Miller denied it his whole life although I don't personally believe that he I don't believe his denial I think he was lying um, that that it is not about the 1950s uh, House on American Activities Committee hearing against the entertainment industry when uh, the House un american Activities Committee, which was led at the time by Senator Joseph McCarthy, ruined the lives of a lot of American entertainers, including causing some of them to commit suicide by blacklisting them as communists uh, and uh, as uh, threats against uh, the American way of life. And that is the story of The Crucible.
1: And then I I think the point about what Arthur Miller's intent is is an important one. And I I would agree. I I think, yeah, I would agree with your assessment of that. Um, But regardless of of Miller's intent, like the way that that play has been interpreted and its importance has been interpreted is as a way to understand and reinterpret the McCarthy trial effectively. And in sort of the larger question of witchcraft, to me, that's always been a really useful example in terms of like, it's not always that we are interested in witchcraft for its own sake. It's that there's something particular that I, I still have questions about what exactly it is. There's something particular about Americans experiences that we, we keep going back to the witch trials. Like, I mean, how many presidents have brought, have, have brought up witch trials? Uh, Trump talked about being, it's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. Specifically people in power, people who going back to witch hunts, which are hunts of people who do not occupy positions of privilege, generally speaking, right? Um, but it is is a trope like used by people in power to basically say like, ah, we are being hunted as witches. Well, I, therefore, I think,
2: I, I think because the the witch trials, you know, the Salem witch trials, no one there was actually a witch. So the the idea of we are being accused of something that is patently false. That, mm-hmm. and I think
1: it's also an accusation that you're you're accusing the whatever the opposing party is of hysteria.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Right.
1: right. I, I don't know if it's the crucible specifically that's responsible for this, but one of the things that becomes very clear from looking at the historical record, the St. Witch Trials was not an act of hysteria. I've read most of the the court documents from the St. Witchcraft Trials. It's actually a very deliberate event. You can argue about the reasonableness of the basis of the event, but they're not hysterical. They were acting out their beliefs. It, you could obviously dispute the beliefs, but it wasn't like people had gone mad suddenly. But I, I mean I, I think it's the to, to get to Bad's question of like why we care about fictional witches, it's I think that there's something about witchcraft that in different contexts functions as a valuable metaphor. Like
4: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially considering like the legacy of the crucible and it's association with Salem and the Salem witch trials, because today Salem is this big hot spot of witchcraft tourism. Uh, like you go and it's like being in Halloween. Yeah. Town, right. Yeah. Um, I, was,
2: I was, I was there for Halloween one year and it's just, it's like Mardi Gras. They just shut the city down and it takes yeah. a party. Yeah, so it's,
4: it's it's actually interesting you bring up Mardi Gras because I was a tour guide in New Orleans. I lived there for 10 years. <laughs> New Orleans, hotspot of actual documented witchcraft population. We've got a huge population that practices voodoo, hoodoo, conjure, eclectic mm-hmm. witchcraft, what have you. Salem was, was not that. Salem was people who were accused of witchcraft who were not
0: actually practicing witchcraft,
4: right. and mostly yet, they
0: they're... were probably just gay.
1: <laughs> Some of them were children. Actually, the young, yeah, the yeah. the first documented, the first, and I emphasize, docu- Salem, as far as we're we're aware, is one of the first cases of like court sanctioned child abuse. There were multiple mm-hmm. children. I think the youngest I should remember that out of my head. The youngest I believe was six years old. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there there are myriad there are myriad different reasons people have identified for the Salem witchcraft trials. Which personally, I find the reason the reason behind it. Is is less interesting to me than how it actually unfolds you know, the Crucible and, and Miller kind of writes about it. It's an interesting case study in how how a community starts to, like, act on something that may may or may not be real, may or may not be a lie and just starts to behave as though it's it's true, whether or not they actually can confirm it's true.
5: This is actually the the core of the reason why I'm interested in monsters and why I write about monsters. In, for instance, my book, The Monster in Theater History, This Thing of Darkness, Rutledge, 2017, Eighteen. Linked in the show
2: notes again.
5: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Thank you very much. Uh, and why I'm the director of the Center for Monster Studies at the University of California at Santa Cruz, because um, I'm very interested in how a libel like uh, like mm-hmm. witchcraft or the blood libel against Jews or any number of of um, um, of phenomenon like that come into being, how they are then used as justification for the persecution of people who are marginalized. And then how the community has to keep re-inscribing that and re-embodying that because they know it's false. At some at some level they know it's false. And so they have to keep re-inscribing it and re-embodying it and re surrogating this process until um until they come to their senses is unlikely the the longer it goes on the more the more unlikely it is that people will come to their senses
4: which is what i find really interesting about comparing salem and new orleans right like that was you know going back to my uh, original point uh Whatever the reasons for the Salem witchcraft trials, it was probably not actual witchcraft. Right. And the no, legacy it's... of that is, is we remember them as witches. We remember them as being this this place of, of witchcraft. And yet they were the ones being persecuted, whereas in New Orleans is being practiced pretty much consensually and as a way to preserve a culture that was lost or stolen from a group of people
2: the, the, the commercial culture of which in Salem it's so much like there's the oh. you, witch on a broom is the symbol on the side of the police car there you know it's everything and you go to the museums and they tell the history and you know, a lot of the museums and the tours are like they weren't witches there were no witches here there are no witches here hey why don't you buy some witch stuff in our <laughs> gift shop on the way out <laughs> okay.
1: it's so bizarre because it's also like cartooniness of salem mm. has always struck me it's like people were being persecuted and ultimately killed mm. and and then we, we we've taken that actual historical event which is like you know like i said i've read most documents it's Heartbreaking. And then we turn it into like this cartoon, which is disturbing to me on so many levels.
4: I think it's really interesting that it kind of represents this dichotomy where we see witch pop culture at even still today, where it either is a horrible, tragic representation of persecution of um, an underrepresented class. Or personal empowerment and preservation of culture, and in many cases, decolonization of your personal religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. It seems to be one or the other in in witchy pop culture. And I think that's really interesting that we see it represented very physically in like Salem and New Orleans. I wonder if there's a possibility that like the cartooniness
1: is in response to the kind of like other, the other trend of like reclamation and decolonization you're talking about. Like, I'm just thinking speculatively of like, I am now on witch talk for reasons unbeknownst <laughs> to me, and oh, you you want
0: to witch talk.
1: <laughs> but specifically like a very specific subset of witch talk. So I am someone of Eastern European descent. I suspect because I follow various Eastern European accounts, this, this is the particular kind of witch talk that presents to me, but it's specifically around people predominantly from Russia and Europe. Ukraine, who practice their their form of indigenous
3: witchcraft as a project of decolonization. Some of our audience members might not know what we mean by decolonization. So would someone mind explaining what they mean by that when they reuse it in a specific context?
1: So so the example I was mentioning on TikTok is, is maybe more accurately described more as anti-racism than de- decolonization because it's coming from Eastern Europe. But it's specifically folks that, in my experience, everyone I follow is, is uh, female. I don't know if that's necessarily the only population doing that, but uh, that's just, you know, folks I'm aware of. Practicing witchcraft from whatever their folkloric tradition is in Eastern Europe as a project to basically reinstate, like, I am culturally Russian and Ukrainian in, in order to both stand against practices of white supremacy that would otherwise erase their ethnic identity as Eastern European, while also simultaneously preserving practices that are seen to be in opposition to patriarchy because they were predominantly practiced by women. That's at least my understanding based off of what I've seen on tiktok Nat, it sounds like you also have you might have more expertise in this area
4: i mean that that sounds pretty much um like how i would define decolonization it's this attempt to undo primarily western european and more recently like in the last couple hundred years i guess <laughs> um the more metaphorical american colonization of the world through pop media Um, So it's it's trying to get like British and American fingers out of your cultural practice and try to reconnect with your roots um, very -hmm. much in the same way that black practitioners of voodoo do in New Orleans. They were forcibly, violently separated from their culture through the transatlantic slave trade and are attempting to reclaim it through this anti-racist I'm losing my train of thought as well. (laughs) The way you just broke it down, I
1: think, is getting back to my original sort of like curiosity, maybe. What, what I would say, like what what Nat's describing is like some kind of desire to re- reclaim or preserve some kind of authentic cultural practice that overlaps with like folklore, belief in the supernatural, or yeah. you know, religion, whatever that might be. I wonder if part of it is like then the cartoony, the cartooniness of witchcraft is then somehow in reaction to that.
0: Well, that's kind of what I wanted to get at, cause
1: right, because the cartooniness removes that cultural authenticity. I don't know if it's accurate to say it's like a colonized version of witchcraft.
0: I think it is and it isn't. Here's where I one because I'm looking at I'm looking at a couple of it's there's i mean it's. There's the colonization from the, the classic you know, historical sense of you know literal um, European, primarily British, but you know other European um, the transatlantic slave trade, um, l- literal colonization. We are colonizing you, we are making you a colony. That is something that happened and the world is still de- dealing with the ramifications. Much of our culture does that, right. And then there's the cultural colonization that happens even outside of that, right? Hege- hegemonic forces. So what I'm looking what I'm looking at are the differences between I'm going to pick I'm going to pick two modern incarnations of pop culture, witchcraft, just like in fact two from the same producer um, or vaguely same producer. I'm going to go with a show that I actually both of them will be shows that I know Natalie has seen (laughs) so that you can speak to them. The first one will be um, Freeform's Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, a show that I loved, an amazing show that. Everybody else is listening, and going, huh? You know what? If you're listening to my voice, go and watch Freeform's Cloak and Dagger. It was really, really good. It's um, it is a, it is an MCU show, kinda. You barely care, but it, but it is just a, uh, it is a. You know how you watch a lot of TV shows and you say, in this show, New York is a character, and it's always New York. In this show, New Orleans is a character. It is so good. Um, I'm not allowed
4: yeah. to to promote another podcast, but I was speaking on Cloak and Dagger on crystal Bell,
0: Bell workers. Yes, I, I, should, I should link that I don't yeah, I, I, I've been I don't even know I, I guess I guess Deconstruction Workers is over but that episode's very good um, and yes um, Cloak and Dagger very good show fits in the Marvel cinematic universe and tries to very much do the project that Natalie was just talking about with um, I don't want to say glamorization but not glamorization but cultural acceptance of the other through witchcraft mm-hmm. is that fair that yeah that's, fair assessment of,
4: i don't think cloak and dagger is like explicitly witchy right they try to do the whole like marvel right. where they wink and nod at superpowers as being like maybe supernatural
0: right and then there's like incidental i mean the the question is oh you're you've got superpowers but you know we just sort of we just sort of practice voodoo here and we don't think you're that weird because you know it's sort of like what and it's it's really clever it's really well done Um, but then also from Marvel just because you know uh John Dorowski friend of the show even said in our in one of our comments he's like I assume you're going to talk about WandaVision and well yeah right now I kind of am going to talk about WandaVision right because that is more not just the colonial the culturally hegemonic version of this is what witchcraft is it's magic and Salem and woo, spooky 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 and and, this and is, also
3: like the like American yeah. sitcom like like let's give every nod to be witched in like the Dick Van Dyke yes. show and a very certain like American family. Although I mean they play with that. And also by the way, footnote, um, Agatha's getting her own show. Yes, um, oh, good, understand. or maybe
5: maybe. It's amazing,
2: Agatha. Yeah, yes, We live in a world where Agatha Harkness is on screen before the Fantastic Four. Yeah, well, well,
3: they've, mean, been it's, the, it's they weird. Weird. they've been on the screen.
5: But, Fantastic yeah. Four yeah. had their yeah. Fantastic yeah. Had their shot, Wayne, and they blew it at time of recording. It's been reported
0: that it is in pre production, yeah. but lots of things yeah. in pre production. We'll see if it ever happens. But yes,
3: it's show. Disney Plus has been pretty solid at like getting those things into pre production because they know we'll watch them
5: anyway. Before we, before. Before we completely quarantine our discussion about the decolonization of of magic mm-hmm. uh, I think it's important to to identify that that the history of magic in Europe is actually magic is a very European thing and, sure sure and it's uh, the history of magic is very very old in Europe very long tradition of Europe with many different styles and but as the Christianization of Europe progresses between the 500s and the 1000s use of magic becomes a site of tension between Christians and pagans right mm-hmm. so this is really not so much a uh, white non-white thing as it is a christian versus pagan thing right that is like super interesting because charlemagne for instance said stop believing in witches there's nobody's a witch stop believing that people are witches stop burning people at the stake for being witches during the during the early part of the medieval period they're not burning people at the stake for being it's only it's only later in the process after um the uh publication of a, of a document called the um episcopi mm-hmm. the most important political issue for christians is not the persecution of witches it's the persecution of heretics it's free thinkers would eventually become protestants right Mm -hmm. during this period many types of magic are being practiced are being practiced by all kinds of people monks priests surgeons midwives diviners right arms potions Mm -hmm. magical herbs invocations whatever this changes the great schism in the catholic church between 1378 and 1414 and uh that was when people were starting to lose confidence in the church and the church says oh my god well how are we going to Reassert our authority. We have to be sure that we get to the forefront of combating spiritual things, right? So suddenly, witches becomes a a mask for sectarian violence, right? Catholics versus mm-hmm. Protestants, so on. But why am I bringing this up? Because there's a a book is written in the 1484, something somewhere around there the Malleus Maleficarium, Hammer of Witches. And this is where where the witches become associated with women. Until then it's it's not women. This is this is when suddenly it all becomes about women because women are perfidious and they are subject to carnal lust far beyond the the capacities of men and so therefore they become better witches than men but i just recently discovered and this is very recent that the malleus maleficarium the hammer of witches was actually plagiarized from an earlier book called the malleus judaeorum which is the hammer of jews really i didn't know okay, that i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know that either i just found that out like this week okay I mean, this is this is hot from the presses, and <laughs> from the presses
0: 14, yeah in, 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 in a 600 year old document it's,
5: it's the, the rediscovery of the presses it's hot from the rediscovery of the presses and the, the interesting thing about all of this is that there's a uh, there's this really interesting connection between witches and jews in the malleus maleficaria and one of them is the nose depiction mm-hmm. of, jews, oh, of God, witches okay. having hooked noses which are mm-hmm. associated with jews the depiction of witches wearing conical hats mm-hmm. which were associated with jews and then of of course, all of the relationship between uh, blood libels and the killing of children and using children's body parts for magic. That was something that Jews were accused of doing as well. So like, I love witches. I think the, the, the notion of the witch as a, Symbol of female power, uh, I think is really awesome. I just I really don't want to see the noses anymore. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> mind the hats. The hats are OK, but let's get rid of the nose.
0: I want to make sure we get, you know, we've, we've been talking about the historical part, but you know, I want to transition a little into the pop culture thing, too. And that's why I was sort of doing talking about the, you know, the hegemonic force of what of what a witch is. And, you know, making the comparison between Cloak and Dagger and WandaVision. But we had uh, we, we had comments that we were talking about things like you know, WandaVision and Link, one of our listeners, he talked about the magical girl in anime and manga mm. and its influence from Bewitched. And I think Bewitched is a very good cultural touchstone of what the American idea of a witch is. And I just looked it up. Sabrina in Archie Comics
2: premiered before Bewitched did. She she appeared first appeared in '62, so I think there may have been some influence
0: there. And just because Hannah's been putting footnotes in, I will put it in a footnote that Sabrina of the Archie Comics and late of the Netflix show, the you know, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, is now being spun back on to its mother show, Riverdale, the greatest show I
1: knew
3: on this television.
5: Oh, oh my, my God! God. It's <laughs> We're not going
1: to do that argument again. There was on <laughs> two
5: episodes of Vox podcast in which Mav didn't bring up
2: Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have to go back and let that in then. I thought, yeah,
1: we this. I thought we moved past this, Matt. Well, it's
0: relevant. So in all seriousness, this, this upcoming season of, of Riverdale is literally going to be about witchcraft and witch trials and who's really a witch, mm. as is this season of Nancy Drew. This is a, you know, coming back into a thing that people are sort of doing with pop culture. Every once in a while, I mean, the witch is a which is a trope that just comes back over and over again, mm. relatively frequently, I think. And
2: just, I mean, that that image in pop culture—we have you know the Wicked Witch of the West from Oz. I mean, just as the, in some ways, the most primal image of the witch in Western pop culture. I mean, that, that image iconic. has been there, yeah, just mm-hmm. incredibly iconic. They make musicals um, about her. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And in comics, we had you know, Wendy, the good little witch, back in the 1950s, and and she had Aunt who were very much based on the Sabrina's ants. Yeah. Well <laughs> oh, no well, Wendy actually came first. Oh Wendy Sabrina's yeah. Were, yeah, Sabrina's ants were probably based on Wendy's ants who were based on the, the witches, like of witches. Yeah. Yeah. So so that that imagery just threw out all of these portrayals of it. Um and you know the the portrayals in in Harry Potter. I mean we still have the pointy hats, you know, that that kind of stuff and it's just how much that those signifiers of of what we think of as pop culture witchcraft that just crosses over into each of the iterations.
0: Oh, good Um, witch or bad witch, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, (laughs) right, yeah. I show I watched, Recently, that's okay is Fort Salem motherland, which you know, was on free form.
4: Okay. Feels like generous, a very generous review of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, it, yes. That, that's, that, that's absolutely true. But yeah, you know, the premise of that is, you know, witches have just have always been here. They've been part of our, our history. You know, it's an alternate timeline where they have been here working to protect us from other evils since the revolution, at least here in America. So yeah, just that how they recurring and so much so of the symbolism, like say, signifiers that just hit in each of these things Mm -hmm. and i guess you bring that question back of you why like with most of the the monster stuff or any of the things we talk about on here why does this thing why why do these symbols speak to us what story are they telling that makes us keep reinterpreting
0: them and keep telling them so i have a, a theory that i'll float to the group and i and i don't know this is this is not one that i've tested um just sort of thinking about the trope of the witch right we have I would say three predominant, three and a half predominant images of, of, of what the witch is in Western pop culture right now. We have a version of the witch, which attempts to be sort of, I, I will say accurate in a very wide berth because as Natalie and Michael have both pointed out, the concept of what is witchcraft is very broad and depends on which, which part of the world you're coming from, right? Like there's, a, there's an African mm. tradition. There's a European tradition. There's a Native American uh, tradition. Um, so it depends on where you're coming from. But the there is one version of witchcraft that attempts to be communally attack, uh, attaching yourself to um, to a natural um, a natural theological mythological tradition. Right. So there's that version of witchcraft. And that might occur in in a um in in pop culture. It's what I was pointing out when I said Cloak and Dagger. That's what they're doing there. Right. Mm. Then you have this version of witchcraft, which is the Oz version. Right. It's the evil cackling witch. It's the you know, the the bad lady who has maybe she's green. She's got the pointy hat. And then <laughs> witch, you've got a from the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Right. And then you've got. The sexy good lady witch, which is um, which is Sabrina, but um, and Sabrina and the carrying on to Riverdale, carrying through the Big Witch television show. Which I mean, yes, I realize that it's a family friendly television show. But the premise of that show is, you know, she's a witch, but she's hot. You know, that's the premise <laughs> to the show witch to the show Bewitched. And so much so that there's even very early on, the very pilot of Bewitched deals with the fact that well, what do you mean witches are ugly? That's just racism. Racism against two. Well, racism against witches, of course. And it is, you know, the entire point of Bewitched is it's trying to make this, it's trying to be a culturally progressive show about a about acceptance of the other of other races of other mm-hmm. religions and doing so in a way in which you can still ca- you can still cast a very waspy white woman <laughs> like that's yeah. like that's that's essentially it's like we want it's, to it's the mutant problem in in, in X-Men comics right like you're, we're going to talk about diversity but everybody looks white you know so yeah, whatever um, same thing here with with Bewitched you know she is supposed to be different and she's supposed to be discriminated against but we still want to cast a pretty blonde lady. And I think that you you get to do that with Charmed. I think you get to do that with the modern version of Charmed. Even if you're, you know, the modern version of Charmed tries to do diversity because they're Latina women instead of uh, white women. But it's still that same concept of there's the hot witch, there's the ugly witch, and there's the traditional witch. And I don't know that there's other, I mean, I guess I, I, like, where does Harry Potter end up? I think Harry Potter is trying to do, I, I think Harry Potter thinks it's doing a traditional witch, but I think it's basically just doing a version of hot witch.
5: Oh, I think what's super interesting Thing about that, Mav, is that the, the idea of what the nature of a witch is changes dramatically, right? Up until recently, a witch is uh, someone, usually a woman, who has come into control of some sort of powerful knowledge. Not only is it... Sort of a feminine knowledge but it's also a knowledge that works against the dominant narrative which of course is male and white and european and and so on which is that science is the dominant form of knowledge production right as opposed to magic mm-hmm. so the 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 witch was a human who traded a bit of her soul for this dark power whereas nowadays the witch is sort of a different species right like the bewitched witches are like cues from Star Trek. They they talk about magic and stuff like that, but they don't really do magic. They just change reality by blinking or mm, wiggling. Right.
0: Their and they're not, or, and know? they're not humans. They say so. They say, you they're know, our children, our children are part witch and part mortal. The, the bewitched premise is you cannot train to be a witch. You are a, you are inherently a different species of animal, you know, of of being, Mm -hmm. yeah.
4: Sabrina, the teenage witch too. Harry, Harry
5: Potter's like that too. Yeah.
4: With Melissa Joan Hart.
5: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Doesn't, doesn't JK Rowling like literally have this long explanation, not that I want to go read it. About like how which magic genetics are like passed down. I'm pretty sure that like I've heard this before. Yeah,
0: I'm sure she does. And just because because anytime we mention J.K. Rowling at this point, I think it's fair to just kind of throw in a eugenics bad. Okay. Yes.
5: (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know there is some flexibility in Harry Potter because some witches are Muggle born. Right. They become witches like Hermione.
0: And that's where she's where she did it on Pottermore. She tried to hand wave that away and say, no, no, no. There's um, genetically background. (laughs) That's gross. Eugenics bad.
1: Exactly. Eugenics bad. That's also JK Rowling doing her weird. I I left I left a plot hole. I now must fix. And it's like, no, plot holes just sometimes happen. Please stop.
0: And also, don't you want to know how wizards poop? And
3: also, Uh, you know, know, we, we don't need to do the Harry Potter episode again. Let's just
1: open a box. (laughs) <laughs> keep okay. you rolling in it, close the box, then put it in the closet, and we'll just walk away now.
3: <laughs> Here's a random question about bewitched then to just take a hard swerve to the right. Does anyone else, like when they watch that show, feel like Samantha is just like constantly like being put in a box by Darren and that, and it's like a metaphor for like, yeah, suburban housewife. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh
0: yeah. I think that's worth commenting on because Bewitched in a lot of ways is actually a very progressive show, which is to say that not only is he putting her in the box, the show knows that he is, and the show knows he's wrong, and it knows. Uh, uh, Tina Fey once said she watched the show the a little girl, and she didn't understand because she'd be like, "Why are they doing this? This woman is a badass. If I could do magic, I'd be doing magic all the time." And she's not just, you know, reading this through late twentieth-century feminist eyes, trying to go back. That's what the show is trying to do. In Dora, Samantha's mother constantly tells her, what are you doing? This man is a mortal. He is lesser than you. Stop letting him box you in. She says that to to her daughter all the time. And Samantha is naively saying, well, I mean, she says quite often, well, I don't want to make him feel bad. I don't, I mean, Samantha mm-hmm. wants to not emasculate Aaron but the show very clearly shows that he is wrong because every problem they ever have is ultimately it's ultimately solved by her being herself and frequently caused by him trying to put her in the box in the first place he is the impetus for most of their problems just as a <laughs> a, a interesting footnote which premiered in
2: 1964 the same year as the Civil Rights Act yeah
3: and you know I I dream a genie is not a witch show but it was basically it's created basically because it was created yeah. because, like, the witch did so well.
0: We won our own, yeah.
3: Just, it's, it's interesting to me that these very similar themes, like, popped up in these shows the entire time, although, like, Iger and genie is even weirder in some ways, which we don't need to get into. But, yeah, I feel, I feel like, yeah, WandaVision's building on that. Mm-hmm.
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. WandaVision is subverting that, I think, in really interesting ways, obviously, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. Actually, it's kind of interesting because, what, Matt, what you were describing is basically, like, ah, the witch who is, like, by virtue of being witchy is inherently in her being a masculine because she's powerful and badass and whatever and mm-hmm. in order to try and like resolve the emasculation gender issue we're trying to basically suburbanize her mm-hmm. making her less witchy presenting or whatever it's like a weird mm-hmm. way of saying that but like basically a she is always as a character in excess of whatever that box is that she's trying to be put into and then and that box itself is the problem whereas i feel like wandavision is 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 a little bit always when i was saying about crime like comic book characters with the caveat that I have not read the the comic books as extensively as literally anyone else in the show. So what I'm about (laughs) to say is kind of probably stupid, but as the outsider who's only seen the show, it's simultaneously about a little bit of the, the idea of like, ah, she's a badass, and like the thing that makes her badass and powerful is in excess of whatever that little box is. But on the other hand, she kind of like, Puts herself in that little like suburban box, mm-hmm. literally, <laughs> yeah, because she's grieving, yeah, and like I wouldn't say by choice exactly. I don't think. I mean, she's not even really aware that she's doing it.
0: For most of it, that's, she is, yeah,
1: right. But I think that that's a really interesting. I think it's an interesting premise, I guess, and and maybe actually it not that different from from what you were talking about, Mav, because it's like she's. It's not necessarily that she doesn't want to make other people uncomfortable. It's that she is uncomfortable, not necessarily with her own abilities but with, like, the situation and the life that those abilities have put her into, mm-hmm. and once a different existence.
4: And that's pretty specific to MCU Wanda as well, because in, in the comics, she's a mutant, right? So, like, her powers mm-hmm. are kind of innate. She's also um, the the daughter of Magneto in the comics.
2: Depending on when you read. Yeah, like, depending she, on what she... week it
0: is. I think she yeah. is again, actually.
4: <laughs> brown. So she's got that ethnic other built in as well, but they mm-hmm. took that away in the show, so they kind of had to do this other thing where they had the power kind of foisted on
0: her at a later age. I think we ended up not discussing this on our WandaVision show. I don't remember because I didn't listen back to it. But I think the ethnic other stuff matters here, right? Because that's one of the questions with the way Wanda is presented in the comics is, you know, is she Magneto's daughter or not? Well, it depends on when you're reading it. Originally she wasn't, and then for much of her existence she was. Is she Romani or not? Uh maybe because obviously the concept of her original character was kind of sort of tied in. And then independently of that, someone decided at one point that Magneto was at that time a gypsy, what they would have called it. But was that important to his backstory? Not when it first happened. And then it sort of became more and more and more so later. And because she was his daughter, by extension, that made her more Romani than she had been. But then when they decided for her not to be his daughter anymore, they sort of wanted to keep that aspect of her character because it made sense for her and for Pietro. So like so when you do the um, when you try to translate this to television, you don't have 50 years to figure this out over. Right. Like the MCU starts in 2008. It's only 20. It's only 2021 now. And Magneto's not in it. Right. And yeah. So like so all these decisions, we bring Wanda into the TV show 2012, I think, you know, so I mean, into Avengers Age. So it's not going back that far. And like, when do they make these decisions? It's like so much of it is unclear, but I do think that, that if you're going to try and do something interesting, I think it's recent enough that like if you want to make a statement about the character, you can do the responsible let's try to let's try to make an interesting statement about Romani culture instead of just saying hot witch because Elizabeth Olsen is hot.
5: Well, that's I think it's super interesting because she loses her accent, right? I mean when mm. when she appears in the MCU in 2012, she's a Sokovian, which is an Eastern European Right. Generically, an, yeah, it's generic yeah. Eastern European, fictional Eastern European. And she has an, a fictional Eastern European accent. And then when she's on one division, she loses the accent. She becomes American. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but something.
0: Well, they they dealt with it. It, it was part of it. They, it's mentioned in a few lines of dialogue. Like she is she is trying to assimilate. And in fact, when they do the flashbacks to. Uh, When they do the flashbacks to her time when she first joins the Avengers, she's got the accent again and she has the accent while she's singing a lullaby to her children. It was actually... It's, it's actually very clearly an intentional choice that Elizabeth Olsen, the actress, as opposed to, you know, the character of Wanda. Um, it, it's, it's clearly a choice that Elizabeth Olsen is making to try and tell a story through her acting. Um, and I think that I don't know that much of it comes from the, much comes from that because they're trying to do to do a greater story about trauma and about sexism and about you know, mental health. And they're trying to do this greater story. But I think the cultural assimilation story is there. It, it's present with the deliberate choices she's making as, a, as an actress. I've watched the show like three times.
5: So.
4: <laughs> That's like the danger in the, the MCU specifically in their handling of magic is that because the MCU is so much smaller than like the wider Marvel Comics universe, you do have to kind of embed all of these connections in. And with WandaVision specifically being a setup for uh, the new Doctor Strange movie. I think we see a fourth kind of witch that you didn't mention, Mav. Mm -hmm. And that is the male science witch. Mm, Okay. Things like Dr. Strange or the magicians where we intellectualize magic and try to make it like, Oh, it's just science that regular people don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw that a lot more with Dr. Strange and with WandaVision, they made it a lot more like intuitive because that feels more feminine, Mm. same kinds of magic like they do in the MCU. Um, there's weird implications there. There's weird, like, patriarchal. You can figure this out even if you have, like, an intuitive connection to it. It can be, like, hacked. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the, like, very,
3: like, sexist dichotomies that pop up everywhere. Like, women are chaos. Men are order. <laughs> mm-hmm gross that's all i have to
5: say about that i don't think that's a bad i don't think that's yeah. a small yeah, they, point, they don't
2: know they, they don't they don't know me at all
4: <laughs> that was the whole point of my magicians chapter that we plugged last time and got me on this okay. episode was was on the one hand on the magicians we saw break bills being this kind of Very masculine center of education being done the scientific way where we teach rote memorization. And then with like the Hedge Witches and Julia, we see a much more kind of intuitive, nature based, community based education system at work. And the tension between those two is what plays out in the show throughout.
0: Brilliantly, too. I blogged um, the Cloak the, the and Dagger show. I don't know, given who I, you know, just based on the comments and stuff we get, I, I feel like much of our audience has seen WandaVision. And I think probably Cloak and Dagger is an easy sell to our audience but so we can just say it's Marvel related. Go see it. Magicians is great. You know, there are there are stumbling blocks because, you know, the, the budget for I think it's five seasons. And, you know, the budget is, you know, a thousand dollars per season. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like they're clearly constricted by what they can do but they do a lot with how much money they have. Like you can tell they're making intelligent choices in order to like sort of, you know, they're special. Like if they're going to use special effects, they're going to, yeah, they need to, right? So instead they try to do that. But the storyline and the concept of what is magic is very smart. And along the way, they try to do very, very interesting arguments about what is, you know, what what does gender mean? What does sexuality mean? What does it mean to be sexually fluid and questions of patriarchy and very, very, very intelligently questions of why do we assume whiteness is the default characteristic for society? the fact that you don't even know that you are you don't even know that you're really watching a show about western assumptions about whiteness until season four where suddenly one of the characters just mentions it to you and says you made bad assumptions because you watch American TV and you should be ashamed and it's, <laughs> and it's brilliant.
5: it's
4: the same thing with gender in the election for the king of yes. Hillary.
0: It's a, it's a very subversive show. Yeah,
5: yeah. I just wanted to drop a, a, an obnoxious note and say that Hale Appleman who plays Elliot on the Magicians was my student at Carnegie oh, cool. Mellon.
0: He's very, and he's very good. Very good. He's so good. I mean, he's one of the characters for the listeners who haven't seen it. Elliot's character, this isn't a spoiler, Elliot's character is gay and does a very good job of, you know, he's acting. So by the very nature of playing a character on a serialized weekly television show, you are going to lean into tropes which are necessarily stereotypes. And he does does a brilliant job of negotiating when do I want to lean into the stereotype and when do I want to resist it. It is masterful acting, and it is the decisions that he makes in you know I'm going to be stereotypically gay here are always in service of the character and the story in very smart ways. And when he decides he's not going to be stereotypically swooshy gay, that's also very much in in service of the story and of the character to where Elliot feels very real. And this matters because he's from episode one, he shows up and he's and, and I mean, you might almost be if you were watching it, you might almost be like, oh, God, here's the gay character when he first shows up. But once you realize several men, members of the cast have fluid sexuality or fluid gender identities, which becomes more and more obvious over the course of five seasons, you'll realize what a choice he's making, you know, so as to set the tone and show gender and sexuality being their spectrum. It is a brilliant show. Not
4: to get off of witchcraft too much. Much, but uh he does use those stereotypes to talk about traumas that the queer community has experienced yes, yes. as well. It's cool with alcoholism throughout, is just Mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs>
0: uh, what we're saying is, watch, watch magicians, everybody. But <laughs> about witches, witches. Uh, so we've we'll resolved nothing. Eh? <laughs> we resolved watch magicians. What <laughs> this is all about? I
3: was going to say we lured you here with Wandavision. We're going to leave you with the magicians.
0: And everything else. I mean, like, I I think that it's an interesting trope. The trope of the witch, I, I think, can be so much in in pop culture. I think it's interesting. I think we're coming back into a, into a witchy moment. You know, if we're going to see repeating tropes, um, Hannah, you mentioned two years ago when you saw this, when you came up with this idea originally, it was because well, there's a bunch of witch stuff happening, and I think it's happening again, right? Because I mean, with the microcosm of just the CW, like I said, yeah. you've got Riverdale, and you've got you know, you've got Charmed, which is a show that they have on the air.
3: Charmed was legitimately the thing that like made me start thinking about this, like, oh, mm-hmm. there's a new Charmed, and then like Sabrina hit Netflix around the same time. And, you know, there, there are a bunch of other things. We haven't gotten into the fact that there's going to be a Hocus Pocus sequel, but, right. you know, like, like, like these things just like kept rolling out right. and of course as uh, Maka pointed out there was a new Harry Parr movie and there's going to be another new Harry Parr movie and we're just going to be stuck in that cycle forever
0: whether we like it or not
3: but yeah like I, I mean it, it was just like oh there are all these things and you know at the time like Sabrina was on Netflix mm-hmm. not on Riverdale
0: but in, in, in addition to Sabrina like I said this is this season of Nancy Drew also dealing very heavily in well Nancy Drew has always got a supernatural element but I mean hell the show's supernatural you know
3: I mean like like the Witcher is coming back, which like has a whole. I, well, okay, I watched like three episodes because I didn't understand it. Or care too. Hannah, you make
1: Hannah, you make me sad.
3: <laughs> Sorry, um, but there's a whole witch plotline there too.
4: Well, and I mean, The Witcher is also
1: complicated because I mean, The Witcher is a supernatural mutant dude who's been engineered that way. So, speaking of the weird science guy wizard, mm-hmm. like, like The Witcher was made. He's kind of like an artificial witchy. Sca- monster thing? Everyone hates him in the same way that they hate witches. Also, witches don't actually hunt witches. It's convenient yes. They hunt monsters.
3: <laughs> I was just very tired, and it jumps around in timelines, and it took me, like, an episode to figure out there were multiple timelines, or I maybe mean, it was two. I don't know. This is not an episode about why Hannah's is confused about
1: the Witcher.
5: I just want to do an episode on why Hannah is confused by the Witcher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which will just be, you, it would be Hannah explaining it, and then it will be me in the background just gently banging my head on the desk.
3: Uh, so. I don't know if I will pay me
1: more. Okay. <laughs> I can't decide if I'm going to cut this part or not.
0: <laughs> if this stays in, I just want to, you know, I want to... I want to thank Katya for editing this week and giving me the week off. So, <laughs> uh, and I want to thank Mike and Natalie for joining us. This is always fun. You guys are always welcome here. You guys like like you, Mike. You joked about oh, you guys don't call me for anything. You can come whenever you want. There's certain people. I mean, exactly. at this point, you're just a regular on the show, semi regular.
3: we can complain about Game of Thrones again. I'm always looking for someone to do that with me.
5: <laughs> oh God, run! <laughs> run. run. Actually moved into the closet in the. Back. Back of Fox Podcast, so I actually live there now. That's where
0: I live. I just want to point out that, like, you know, Hannah's like inviting Game of Thrones discussion, and then yeah, and yeah, Katya's is mad at me for talking about Riverdale. Talking about Riverdale is the premise of this whole show. <laughs>
1: I I contend that I can multitask and be grumpy about both.
0: Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. In fact, some could
3: say Riverdale is the worst show on television right now. Oh no, Sorry, no Mike. one would say that. Oh my
0: God. Anyway. <laughs> Mike. Anything you want to plug?
5: Yeah, I do. I want to plug the Center for Monster Studies at the University of California, Santa Cruz. That's monsterstudies.ucsc.edu on your web browser. And you can email us at monsters at UCSC.edu. And um, we also have a podcast called The Show Where They Talk About Monsters, which is like Fox Podcast, except we only talk about monsters. And I'm going to be having you guys on those shows pretty soon.
0: Thanks for being on And Yeah, Center is linked in the show notes. So follow it there and you learn all about it. Natalie, what about you?
5: Oh, I haven't
4: done anything new. Um, I've got the, the chapter is still published. You can get it places. I have a link tree now so I can just send you all of my stuff. I'm not doing anything. I'm writing my dissertation and bullshitting on this podcast.
0: Katya, what about you?
1: Um, I increasingly don't believe in the internet.
0: You you do understand that you host a show <laughs> on the internet.
1: That doesn't mean I can't be grumpy about it. Yes,
0: I know. And and this is going to gonna be a theme here because Paladro, Hannah, anything you want to plug?
1: <laughs> I'm
3: so tired.
1: I just left laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also love, I would like to point out that the, the two two of the younger hope co-hosts are the most currently aggressively anti-internet. No, I
0: think- it's, it's not just that. Watch this. Wayne,
1: anything you want to plug?
0: No, nope. <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> yeah. I hate all of you.
1: Wait, wait, whoa whoa, 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 whoa. Did we just learn? Did we just learn that Mav is actually the least curmudgeonly person on <laughs> Podcast? <laughs> is it possible? Is it possible?
0: Yes, and you're ruining my entire fucking gimmick, you guys. <laughs> 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 (laughs) 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 anyway (laughs) you've wasted another perfectly good hour Mav Mav is the
2: vampire who has infected the rest of us with his uh
0: I'm actually on the internet. You can follow me Chris Maverick, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, all of the places. You can also follow the show, all those same places at Vox Podcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpodcast.com where you can learn about whatever we're talking about next week. And you can leave us comments on this show and any other show. You can give us ideas, pitch yourself as a guest, you know, just weigh in. We like to hear from you. If you enjoy the show, we certainly hope you do. Then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, where the hell else you get podcasts from, including YouTube. Hopefully I'll get back to making visual representations of the show on YouTube sometime soon. And do us a favor, leave us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. That really helps us out by boosting the algorithms, making us more popular. And they're just fun to read because like Natalie, I am also, you know, crying myself to sleep every night trying to finish this dissertation because, oh my God god (laughs) i'm so tired you people i'm so tired guys and um that is just it's you know it's really delightful in fact leave us a five-star review that says Five stars. I love Vox Podcast. Mav, I'm very sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I want to read. I would like to thank Maximilian of Vought4 Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to once again thank both of our guests for joining us. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next
5: time. Bye. Bye. Have okay.